Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk. I'm Kaylee. Uh, today we're switching the roles a little bit. Dad, how does it feel to be on the other side of the chair? <laughs> You've already got me laughing. Yeah, this is the first time on a podcast that I have been sitting on this side and it does feel a little bit different, but I'm excited about it today. It's going to be great having you as the host. I'm sure people are wondering, why are you the host today? Maybe you could give an explanation for that. Well, today we're going to be talking about the whys of life. A lot of questions. Why does God allow certain? I think it's something that a lot of people wonder, a lot of people have questions about, and so that's what we're going to be diving into today. Yeah, that sounds good. And I guess when we had staff meeting, the discussion was made that they wanted to turn the tables on me, and so everybody agreed to it. So I guess that's how I ended up here, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I think, as you already said, Kelly, there are a lot of people are asking questions, and I think they're legitimate questions. And while we certainly don't claim to have all the answers and don't know them, I think some of the basic questions that people are asking do have a real good, solid biblical answer. So, yeah, I appreciate you hosting today. Of course, of course. Let's get into it. So I know even for me, something that I've struggled with is the question, why do good things happen to bad people? I think that's, like you said, that's a normal question to have. We all go through our different adversities, different things in life, and sometimes it can be hard to understand why those things happen. What's your perspective on that? Well, I think it's a great question, and I agree with you. I think this is something that I don't know that, I mean, I would assume everybody has asked this question at some point in their life. And uh, But I think, I think the starting place is this. First of all, I think the starting place is what is good. Now, I know living here in Texas that we have this saying that about a good old boy or a good old girl. But technically, the Scripture says that there is no one righteous, that really no one is good. And so when the Bible talks about what true goodness is, true goodness can never actually take place. Biblical goodness is only stems from a relationship with Christ. Now, I know some people are not going to want to hear that. They're going to say, you're telling me that a person who doesn't know Christ can't do good. Well, in an earthly sense, of course you could do good. You could give money to the poor. You could help the homeless. There's a million different ways that you could do good. But again, we're talking about from a biblical perspective, a a biblical concept. And good only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ in the sense that good is something that lasts throughout all eternity because it's motivated by Christ and it gives glory to Christ. But I kind of want to turn the question a little bit around because while I think it's a legitimate question of why do bad things happen to good people, and even if we're going to use the definition of good from a biblical perspective of coming from a believer's life, you could even say that. Then, okay, if even if I agree with you, Jay, then why do bad things happen to people who love Jesus? Well, I don't know that there's a definitive answer to why this happens. I know today we did a Bible study, and we were reading a story about a man who was born blind. We literally just got out of staff Bible study. And a lot of people might have said about him, well, why would this man be born blind. He did not do anything wrong. I mean, he was born this way. But yet when you read the story in John chapter 9, we discovered that while God did not cause him to be blind, God allowed him to be born that way. But 
when it was all said and done, not only was God glorified because Jesus showed that he could do a miracle that had never been done in history, and not only did it prove that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, but it led to that man's salvation. So, but, but again, I want to turn the question a little bit backwards, and it's this. I wonder why people never ask this question. Instead of saying, why do bad things happen to good people? Why not ask this question? Why does good things happen to anyone? I mean, I think about my own life and think about all the things, all the ways I failed God in my life. I mean, do I really deserve anything good? If I got what I deserved, I would spend eternity separated from God. I would have never been saved, and I would be in darkness and suffering for all eternity. So I think it's a legitimate question, and I think a lot of people wonder that. And again, I don't know that there is a concrete answer other than I do believe, as we talked about today, when bad things happen, that God's ultimate goal is to take even the bad things that happen and use them for his glory like he did in the story we read in John chapter 9 today. Now, we talked about, too, that it doesn't always happen that way. But it's not that good things don't happen, that, that, that God's glory doesn't come from bad things. That's not God's fault. It's our fault. So I, I think we should be asking, Kaylee, why does anything good happen to me? Because I think if we're honest with one another, we would realize that really we don't deserve anything good. Yeah. I think you made a lot of good points. I think um, it's just a very relatable question. Nine times out of ten, anyone you talk to has been through some sort of suffering, some sort of adversity. And so that's something that I think everyone has in common is maybe that question. Why do bad things happen to good people? But also, I like what you said about why do good things happen to anybody, anyone, yeah, ever. We're all pretty undeserving. So Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think when we look at it from that perspective – of rather than saying, why did this certain bad thing happen to me? That rather than looking at it in the negative context, we can look at it in the positive and say, while I don't understand why that happened, I do trust that God's wanting to do somehow bring good out of it. But rather than focusing on the bad thing that happened, I want to be thankful for all the good things that have happened. I'll give you a, a kind of an analogy. So you think about all the airplanes that took take off on runways today. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of flights worldwide. Well, nobody ever says, man, that's great about all the successful airplane takeoffs that happen worldwide today. But let one plane go down, and of course it's a tragedy, but let one plane go down and all anybody talks about is why did this one plane go down? And again, I think it's a legitimate question, but I think sometimes we tend to focus on that one airplane or that one bad thing instead of thinking about, look at all the good things that has happened in my life that God has brought in my life that I didn't deserve to happen to me. And so I think it's part of that, again, not criticizing the question, but it's tweaking and saying, God, rather than blaming you or being angry at you or resentful at you for the things that have happened, I want you to change my perspective where I can then shift my focus to all the good things that you've done that I didn't deserve. Or what I can do with the bad that has happened. Exactly, what I can do with the bad that has happened. I love that. Exactly. That kind of leads us to our next question, and that is, why does God give us free will? And I think these kind of go hand in hand in a sense, because although God doesn't cause things to happen, he allows them to happen. And he also allows us to have free will, which is the reason that some and a lot of bad things in this world do happen. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. And I I think, again, as you said, this is another question that people ask. I think, first of all, we've got to identify, I'm sure most people already know, but what is free will? 
Free will is when God set up the way that, the, when, when, when God determined how things were going to be, he gave people an opportunity to make their own choices, good or bad. And so the question that you pose is, why does God give us a free will? And so sometimes God, like you said previously about our other question, is God doesn't, isn't the reason that things happen, but God does allow certain things to happen. Right. Well, I like that you first identified what free will is, and you gave a great definition. It's the ability, God gave everybody the ability to have a choice about even salvation, whether or not to say yes to Christ or no to Christ. And I think some people wish that God had not given us free will. But I think about it from this perspective. I'm going to use your mom as an example. Let's say when I met your mom, I was I was immediately attracted to her. I thought she was beautiful. I thought she was sweet. I knew that she was the type of girl that I wanted to date and possibly even marry someday. Let's just say that I had or mankind had the ability to create a computer chip where you could dictate someone's responses you could dictate someone's feelings. You could even force them to love you or to hate you, whatever. Well, going back to your mother, I think about this. If, if I had a computer chip where, I mean, obviously I wanted your mother to love me and I wanted your mother to be attracted to me, but had I have had the ability or if mankind had the ability to program someone to determine their responses, their thoughts, their feelings, would it be authentic? I mean, I ask you that question. If you could pick whatever your dream guy is and you could program him to love you, in essence, you could make him love you, you could make him do everything that you wanted him to do, would you be willing to embrace that computer chip and put it inside of him? What would your answer be? Well, it's just force at that point. Everyone's the same. It's it's not genuine. Yeah, so what you're saying is, if I understand correctly, you're saying you wouldn't want to do that because it wouldn't have been his decision. And if I understand what you're saying correctly, it wouldn't be true love. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, and let me just say that part of, too, what makes what made it great that your mother selected me wasn't just that she selected me, but she chose me above all others. Well, in that same line of thinking, what if God would have done that to you and I or to our listeners today? God would have somehow programmed them where they had to say yes to Christ. They had to make all the right decisions. Would that be true love? It wouldn't be true love because true love always has to have freedom. I mean, if let's just say right now you're not married and let's just say that you can make someone love you, you wouldn't be happy with that long term because you know it wouldn't be authentic. You know it wouldn't be genuine. You want that one day when you walk down an aisle and you look another man in the eyes, you want to know unequivocally, undeniably, he chose you above everybody else and he doesn't love you because you forced him to or you manipulated him to. You want to know that this man loves me for who I am just because of who I am. Mm -hmm. Well, in the same way, God wants us to love him just because we choose to love him. And so part of that whole process was giving us the ability to say yes or to say no to Christ. Now, with free will, as you already stated, I mean, it's true. When people have a free will, they make, sometimes they make good decisions and sometimes they make poor decisions. But God wants to be loved the same way that you and I want to be loved. And so he gives people the opportunity to love him or not. I think it's important to remember that true love must have freedom. But... In order to have freedom, 
choice comes with, with freedom as well. So um, that's the reason that God gave us a free will. And I know I love the Lord, and I know you love the Lord, and we don't love the Lord because somebody made us love the Lord. We love the Lord of our own choosing. All right, well, let's go to our third question. Why does God not prevent evil problems or difficulties? Yeah, this is another one of those questions that I think resonates with a lot of people. Um, Something happens, and you might say, well, like in our Bible study today, I'm going to go back to that, our staff Bible study. So God did not cause this man to be born blind, but God did allow the man to be born. And so some people would say, well, why didn't he prevent it? I was reading a book just yesterday where where this man was talking to his father after the death of his mother. And his father said to the son, why did God take your mother? And the son said to his father, well, God didn't take mom. Mom had heart failure. Mom passed away because her heart quit working. And then his father asked this very question. But why did God allow it? So there is no way that anybody on this planet can understand why God does everything that God does. If we could, then we would be God. And if we were God, then we wouldn't need a God. But I think there's a few things when we talk about this point that are important for us to remember and realize. First of all, is some of the suffering that we encounter that we blame on God is a result of our own choices. I'll think back to something stupid that I did when I was 20 years old. I was out by Lake Arrowhead, and I was on a Honda Interceptor. It's a bullet bike. It's a motorcycle, but a very fast motorcycle. And I was driving down the highway on a motorcycle about 120, 125 miles an hour. Now, thankfully, I didn't have an accident, and there wasn't a wreck. It was about 1.30 in the morning, pitch dark, if a... Oh my gosh, if a raccoon or who knows, something would have run out in front of me, I'd, I'd be dead. Hands down, no question. No helmet, no nothing. Well, but let's just say, for example, that I would have had a wreck. And then somebody might have said, well, gosh, and they wanted to blame God. Well, why did God allow Jay to be killed? Well, was Jay killed? Is that God's fault? Or is that Jay's fault? I mean, Jay's driving down the highway at 1.30 in the morning, pitch dark, no helmet, at 125 miles an hour. Well, and so I think part of the answer to this question is, number one, sometimes we blame God for things that are allowed that shouldn't have been allowed in the first place, but were allowed because of the choices that we made. The second thing is, is I think oftentimes, well, I don't think, I know that there's a lot of things God prevents that we don't know about. Let me ask you, Kaylee, have you ever been in a situation where, this happened to me last week, Have you ever been in a situation where you did something you normally wouldn't do? My example was last week. I normally go home the same way every day. And I found myself going home a different way than I normally go. I don't know why I did that. I don't know if God led me to go that way because had I have gone the other direction, I would have had an accident. Has has anything like that ever happened to you? Yeah, last night, me and Graham went to the pharmacy to get my medicine real late at night. It was raining super, super hard. And about halfway there, I realized I went a way I'd never gone, and it was taking me so much longer than usual. And so on the way home, me and Graham went down Southwest Parkway on the way back from United, and there was a car accident. One car had gone in a building. The other was wrapped around a pole. And they were just now – or they had just then been cleaning up the mess. And so I thought to myself, 
Interesting, I went the other way when this probably occurred just about the time I would have been going through right the, right here at this intersection. So, yeah, I think there's pl- there's been plenty of circumstances where I've looked back and thought, there's no way that happened for no reason. So Yeah, yeah and I think I think one of these days it's going to be pretty cool when we get to heaven and because we don't know. I mean, that could have been a coincidence. It could right, have been, right. uh, but it also could have been God. We don't know the answer to that. But I think one day we're going to get to heaven and it's going to be, we're going to find out all these things that happened that didn't seem to have a reason or things that the Lord protected us from that we didn't even know he was protecting us from. I mean, I think about another, I'm embarrassed to even admit this, but years ago when we lived on Bernhardt Place, I couldn't get the gas grill started and I was so frustrated. And I'd made this real genius decision to pour gasoline on the charcoal. Well, if you know anything about how quickly a flame travels up the nozzle through gasoline, that flame went all the way up through the nozzle when I was pouring it. And when it did, I mean, it should have went into the gas can and blown up and blown gas all over me and caught me on fire. To this day, I consider it a miracle that I was not completely set on fire that day. So anyway, the point being is, is that when we look at this question and we say, why does God not, why does he allow certain things? I think, first of all, we got to look at the fact and just trust my faith that there's a lot of things that God doesn't allow that we don't even know about that one day we'll find out that we're not great, that we're not even grateful for because we, we, we don't know about it. The other thing I think is important when we look at this question is that we've got to understand that everything God does allow that we know he's, that he allows that doesn't seem to make sense is that he is allowing for our equipping, for our preparation, for our good. Again, I'm going to go back to the Bible study. I mean, it would have been easy for the mom and dad or for the guy who was blind to say, why would God have allowed this? I mean, this is not this child's fault. It's not his parents' fault. Why would God allow this? And we know that he was a grown man when God finally healed him. And so he went through years and years and years of blindness. And so during the midst of the pain, it's very easy to ask this question of why God allowed something. And oftentimes, some, in some cases, we'll never know the answer till we get to heaven. But in some cases, we find out the answer why God allowed something in this life, as in his case. Now, granted, it took a long time. He's a grown man. But the Lord healed him, and he gained his vision, and he was a testimony to the Lord. And not only that, he became a believer. So Number one is realizing that God allows things, God allows doesn't allow certain things that we're not even aware of that we'll know one day, and the other thing is is realizing that the things God does allow, He's allowing for our equipping, for our preparation. I look at your own life. I still believe that God allowed this sickness in your life. We don't know all the answers yet. We may not know all of them till you get to heaven, but I still believe God has allowed this incurable disease. And I think, and I believe this with all my heart, that at some point in our life, we're going to go, while we don't know all the answers, we do know this. And we're going to be able to say A, B, C, D, the list goes on, of all the good things that God has brought about because of it. And the last thing I want to say on this, and I think it's important too, is oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the people who are saying, why did God allow this and that blank and that... The, oftentimes the people that are asking that question are not the people who are suffering. It's the people who are on the outside. Oftentimes people who are in comfort who are saying, well, why did God, and they're using it as an accusation against God. Well, God, why did God allow that plane crash yesterday? What kind of God does that? Not giving thanks for the, as I used the analogy earlier, of the thousands and thousands of aircraft that have taken off in the last six months with no, no accident. But that's a great question. 
I think those are all very good points. I think uh, something that we can take away from probably all these questions is shifting our perspective. I think that plays a huge part in just getting through this life with having human minds and not always being able to understand God's purpose and God's plan. I think that can be very beneficial in all of our spiritual walks. I agree with what you said about the potential lesson to be learned through difficult times and evil things that may happen. Uh, Although we may never understand the answer, like you said, on this side of heaven, there is potential purpose through all things, good and bad. So, Yeah, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think you made some great statements there. And I I love what you said about perspective, because I, I think that's the key. What is that old saying? It's gratitude is being thankful for what is instead of focusing on what's not. And so I think your your idea of changing perspective and looking at it through the lens of let me trust God and be thankful for things that he doesn't allow that I don't know about, and then also trusting God for the things that he has allowed that I don't understand, that he's going to somehow bring good from it. Mm-hmm. Good what? point. Thank you. Thank you. Let's jump into our next point. And that is, why does God give us so many rules? Wow. Mm-hmm. And I got to go back to when, before I was a believer. So I grew up in church and I came from a kind of a legalistic background and things have changed a lot since then. But when I was growing up, I mean, you heard things like, oh, I mean, going to the movies is wrong or playing cards is wrong or the list goes on and on. It's all these Really, Christianity, as I was growing up, in a lot of ways, was more known for what you shouldn't do or what's wrong to do than what you can do. And so, again, I think this is another real legitimate question. I think that, especially non-believers, I think they look at it like, well, gosh, I mean, man, I don't want to get saved because if I get saved, I used, this sounds kind of corny, but I used to look at it this way. Man, if I, if I got saved, I'd be a square, man. I mean, I couldn't have any fun. I wouldn't be able to do anything. I mean, I just... I thought I was going to have to be a monk or live like a nun or something. Of course, I found out that really the most adventurous life ever for me has been knowing Christ, that while I thought it was going to be nothing but rules and regulations, and this has been an adventure, and it's not what I haven't been able to do. It's amazing to me what I have been able to do. But the answer to the question, first of all, I think that we have to realize, number one, is rules are an expression of love. You know this firsthand. You're my daughter. So would you say that, and I mean, one day you're going to be a mother, would you say that a mother or a father who has rules and regulations for their kids doesn't love their kids, or would you say they do, and why? I would say they do. I think certain rules and boundaries are set in place for protection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and of course, growing up, there were plenty of rules that were imposed upon you by me and your mother. And the truth of it is, you didn't like some of those rules, just like I didn't like some of those rules. I mean, that that's normal. But rules are an expression of love. Mom and I never impose rules on you because we're trying to stymie you having fun. We don't want Kaylee to have a good time. Every rule that we imposed, we imposed because we did it for your protection. We did it for caution. It was an expression of our love. And I would agree with you that a good parent, I mean, if you told me as somebody that you knew that their parents said there's nothing off limits, you can do anything you want to do, I don't think anybody in their right mind would say that that's a good parent. So you made a comment, and I don't remember exactly how you said it, but you said something about something along the lines that was proving that rules are an expression of love. They're protection from emotional, spiritual, and even physical, physical pain. And even when you think about 
the laws that we have in this city that we live or in this nation that we live, a lot of those laws stem from the original Ten Commandments. So God institutes, and I don't believe Christianity is just a set of rules and regulations and laws. I don't believe that. I don't believe it for a minute. But I do believe that God has rules just like a parent does, number one, as a deterrent from doing wrong. I mean, let's say today, I would like to have $100,000 in cash, but I'm not going to leave today and go down the street and rob a bank. It's not because I don't want $100,000 in cash. That would be great. I'm not going down to the bank to rob the bank because I know there are consequences and that if I go rob the bank down the street, I'm going to end up in prison. And so God partially institutes different rules and regulations as a deterrent because with every decision comes a consequence, whether it be good or bad. And also, God uses it as a protection. I think about oftentimes, we, when you were younger, we would go to the embassy suites on family, little family trips down in Dallas. And we would all, I would always request to be on high, the highest floor we could get on. Well, when you got up on those higher floors, you found out that there was something on the 11th floor that there wasn't on floor number one. There was a guardrail. It wasn't because they didn't want you to have fun running up and down the hallway. It's because they wanted to put up a guardrail because they didn't want you to fall 11, 11 floors to your death. And so I think part of it is realizing that, no, this is not some legalistic God that is trying to keep us from having a good time. It serves as a deterrent, and also it's something precautionary. I'll give an example. The Bible doesn't say that it's a sin to drink alcohol, but the Bible does say it's a sin to get drunk. Well, I mean, I'd say that that's a good rule. Because let's say tonight, if I were to go out and get drunk, well, I mean, I might have a car wreck. I might kill myself. I might kill somebody else. So again, I think it's understanding that God is not the God that I sometimes thought he was, who is sitting up in heaven that just wants me to follow all these rules and regulations so I can be this legalistic Christian and try to attain some self-righteousness, that it's God protecting me, that it's God, it's an expression of his love because he's trying to keep me from the negative consequences that come from making the wrong decisions. There's so many things that I like that you said. I think I understand how it can be viewed as rules. I mean, obviously, I've grown up in the church. I've grown up going to Sunday school every week. And so growing up around that and getting saved at a young age, I have an understanding and a perception of what it means to follow Christ and that they aren't necessarily these strict rules that I can't ever fail on, but they're put in place to help me be more like Christ. And I think it's very understandable for someone who maybe hasn't grown up in church or hasn't been exposed to Christianity or religion in general to question or understand what are all these rules about? What are all these different things that I have to follow so strictly? And while they they could be viewed as rules. I, I think they're more, like I said, a way to become more like Christ, a deterrent to stay away from certain things and be safe in certain situations. Well, I, I love what you said about, and I didn't think about that, but I think it's a great point. Number one being that it helps us be more like Christ because ultimately that's what he's wanting us to do, to become more like him. Obviously, we're not going to be him, but the goal is to become like him. That's why we're called disciples. That's why the original followers were called Christians. They were saying those people are Christ-like. So I love your your thought on that, even though I've I've never considered that. And I I like what you were saying, too, in regards to that how non-believers could see this as nothing but rules and regulations. But it kind of goes back to the guardrail statement. I, I like 
your tweak on looking at them less as rules and more as guardrails. This isn't this is a preventative. This is something that is going to help me. I mean, I can't think of one single rule that God has that causes harm. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, and these rules aren't okay, if you don't obey this, if you mess up once, then you're done. These are put in place to help mold us. And so this isn't an overnight transformation either. I think that following these rules is something that, you know, it is it is learned. It is something that can be a struggle if you didn't grow up in church and you weren't in Sunday school every week. I think that's a great point, too, that you made. Something else, I, I love having you on the podcast because, you know, sometimes you think of things that, that I would never think of. But the other thing you said that I think is really important for people to hear because it would be easy. You said that basically when you do break these rules or you do make a mistake, sometimes it's unintentionally and sometimes it's intentionally. I think it's so important for our listeners to hear what you said in regards to, because the truth of it is you are going to, a cave, you're going to fall short. And it doesn't mean that you're a castaway. And it doesn't mean that there's not forgiveness. And it doesn't mean that you fumble the ball and there's there, there's there, there's no way to come back from it. God, yes, he has these rules, and they're for our protection, and they're, it's because he loves us. But yet at the same time, that you are going to fall short, you are going to make mistakes. But when you do, it doesn't mean that you can't be brought back home. It doesn't mean that you can't be forgiven. It doesn't mean that your life's over. I mean, I was on the phone earlier today with a guy who literally just got out of jail. I mean, it doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. You may be listening today and go, well, man, Jay, Kaylee, you have no idea what I've done. I don't think that there's anything where your sin is greater than the grace of God. And so, Kaylee, thanks for making that point because our listeners our listeners do need to know that, I mean, it doesn't matter how far you've fallen, that you've never fallen beyond the grace and the love of God. Thank you for saying that. Of course, yes. And I think, yeah, it's just important to know that it's not a conditional love, despite the rules, despite these things that we are called to follow and live by. It's it's not a make it or break it deal. You know, you can fall short and you can make mistakes and he's there and he understands that. And I, I think, yeah, just to circle back around real quick, as a believer too, I think it's super important to have an empathy and an understanding for non-believers who might be going through this process because like I mentioned earlier, when you grow up in this or maybe you've just been a Christian for quite a few years, it's important to have an empathy for those that may not have that understanding. And if you are explaining this or you are sharing the gospel, to do it gently and to kind of explain that, you know, this isn't a conditional love. This isn't like a human relationship and that although it can be perceived as one thing, there is there is perspective to be had. Yeah. No, no, I see what you're saying. And the, the this whole thought of, and, and it's so true, God's love is not conditional. I mean, he's going to love you no matter what. Unless you die without Christ in this life, he loves you and he's never going to stop loving you. Now, if you reject Christ and you eventually spend eternity separated from him, then his love stops there. But while his love is unconditional, his blessings do have conditions. Now, no matter how much you've dropped the ball, God's still going to love you. I'll go back to one of these analogies I've come up with. Let's say that I did rob the bank today. I mean, God's still going to love me, but that doesn't mean that his blessings are are unconditional. There's going to be consequence. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to pay retribution. So while God's love is unconditional, 
his blessings or not. You can't continue to disobey God and say, you know what, I'm not following this, I'm not obeying that, I'm doing things my own way, and still expect God to pour out blessings on your life, just like me as a father to you. I mean, when you did not obey what your mother and I were, the rules or the regulations or the parameters or the guardrails that we set up in your life, we didn't reward you for that. There was consequence for that. So yeah, you're right. God's love is unconditional, but his blessings are not. And if we want his blessings on our life, we need to follow and obey him. Yes, perfect. And I mean, that's kind of a good leeway into our last, our last little topic, our last question, and that is, why does God send people to hell? Yeah, and I have heard this so many times. I, this is the way I normally hear it, Kaylee. I cannot believe in a loving God who would send people to hell. What kind of God? How can you, someone might say, listening to the podcast today, driving down the road. Well, you say God's love is unconditional, but how could, how could God claim to be such a great God of love and send people to hell? Well, first of all, what we've got to understand is God has never and will never send anybody to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. The Bible is very clear. God loved the world. That's everybody. There's a scripture in 1 Timothy 2.4 that says God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So the Lord wants everybody to know him. Now, I remember years ago, um, I was in Georgia, and this is before your time, so you probably wouldn't remember, but there was a guy named Timothy McVeigh. And basically, he went outside a government building in Oklahoma City, about two hours from where we live, and he... I think it was a U-Haul truck, but he put explosives in it, and he blew the building up. And women died, children died, innocent people. He had a vendetta against the government, and so he blows up this building. And um, finally, when I was in Georgia, it had come to the place where he had just been found guilty. I mean, it was a black and white issue. And so sitting at this table with a group of religious leaders, somebody said, well, I'm so glad that he was found guilty, which I was too, and said, He'd been given the death sentence and said, that guy's going to go straight to hell. And when he said that, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I said, guys, I'm not here to correct anybody, but there's something that I've got to say. If Timothy McVeigh goes to hell, and obviously I know nothing about him, I know nothing about his upbringing or anything else, but I said this. If Timothy McVeigh goes to hell, he is not going to hell because he blew up the building in Oklahoma City. If Timothy goes to hell, he will go to hell for one reason and one reason only. And that would be simply because he rejected Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. So the first thing that we've got to note is God doesn't send anybody to hell. Now, God's love does two things. Well, let me back up. God's love gives freedom. And everybody wants to talk about the love of God. But there's another side of God that we also have to address. It's like two wings on an airplane. You, you can't have one without the other. Yes, God is a God of love. You mentioned earlier, he's an, a God who loves unconditionally. But we can't take away from the fact that although God is a God of love, he is also a God of holiness. And so God's love gives us freedom, but his holiness requires justice. And so, matter of fact, um, let, let's go back a little bit. So when Jesus discussed hell, he's talking to a group of people. And so he wanted, you know, Jesus was real good at using analogies. And so he would use sheep and he would use fields. And so he's talking to a group of people and there was a place outside the city gates called Gehenna. And so when Jesus spoke about hell, he used the metaphor of Gehenna. Now, what was Gehenna? Somebody's probably asking. Well, Gehenna was outside the city gates 
and it was a place where criminals were taken and their bodies were burned. And there was always smoke that was ascending. It was a place that was desolate, a place of isolation. There was garbage. There was burned human bodies. And so when Jesus spoke about hell, he used this as an illustration that everybody would have been familiar with because everybody knew about it. And Jesus was trying to draw a metaphor, an analogy to say what hell was going to be like. This place of death, this place of suffering, this place of isolation. And I think that's important. So anyway, when we... we we first got to understand that God does not send anybody to hell. But the other thing that I find ironic is this, is on one hand, we want people to be punished. You and I were watching a documentary just a couple of nights ago, and we won't get into all that, but basically it's, it's a, a nationally known figure who sexually abused children. And he got 15 years for sexually abusing, what was it, 13? I think it was 14. Yeah, 14, 14 children, as young as eight years of age. He got a 15-year sentence. And you remember how you and I felt about it? Sick. We were sick. And why were we sick? It's just not enough. It's not enough. I mean, how can you get basically one year for every child that you sexually raped? I, I feel angry even now speaking about it. So you and I felt like, well, that's not fair. I mean, because we wanted justice. Well, the point that I'm trying to make is, on one hand, we want evil to be punished. And so we feel like we, we say, well, we want justice. And in that case, we were angry because we felt like that justice was not given. But while on one hand, we want God to punish evil, on the other hand, the same people who oftentimes want God to punish evil, and they might say about that case, well, that's not fair. He got 15 years or 14 children he abused. And so we want justice. Some people might say he deserved the death penalty. Some people might say he deserved life in prison. But on one hand, we want God to punish evil, but then on the other end of the spectrum, some of the same people are saying, but why does God punish evil? Well, it's evil if you reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's evil if you look at the crucifixion of Christ and say, I don't believe in that. I don't care. God gave his son. It doesn't matter to me. So it's like God can't win either way. We can't say on one hand, well, we want justice, and we want there to be punishment, and then in the same breath say, but why would a loving father send people to hell who rejected his son? It's got to be one way or the other. And that's where we go back to where we started. Yes, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of holiness. And while God's love gives freedom, God's holiness requires justice. But no, God has never sent anybody to hell. And if you're listening today, maybe you're driving down the road or maybe you're at the office or whatever you're doing, and you say, gosh, I, I don't want to go to hell. Or, or, or maybe you wonder, you wonder in the past why God sent anybody there. You must understand today, God has done everything he can. He's put up every roadblock to keep everybody from going there. I can't imagine any greater love than allowing one of your children, in this case his son, to be executed to be slaughtered on a hill as a preventative to keep people from spending eternity separated from him. Great questions, Kaylee. I, I love these questions, and I think, again, there are a lot of whys. And I'm, I'm going to say this. I think while it's normal to ask why, I think oftentimes, while it's a normal question, that we need to move beyond the whys and we need to move to the what's. Instead, Because, I mean, who among us understands all the things that God does? But I think there has to come a point where we say, not why, but we have to say what. 
God, what are you trying to show me? God, or maybe how? God, how can you use this pain, this struggle, this tribulation, this trial in my life to build your kingdom? God, how can you use this to make me a better father, a better husband, a better classmate, a better brother, a better sister? So while the questions of why are normal, I think sometimes we need to ask what and we need to ask how. I think that's great. I think asking why can lead to being stagnant for a good, for a good amount of time. And I think it's easy to say that we've probably all been there once or twice. But I think, yeah, I agree with you. Looking for the what, how can I use this? How can I help someone else? Is Not only could it bring you healing, but it could also definitely benefit someone else or bring them to know Christ along the way. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, as you said, when you spend all your time just sitting around asking why, that means probably you're not in movement and you get stuck in a rut. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love that people talk about, there's a scripture in there that says that we see through a glass darkly, but the day is going to come when we're going to see face to face. And so we have to just come to a point where we say, there's a lot of things that we're not going to understand. There's a lot of things that we're not going to know, but we got to accept in faith that God is, as you say, an unconditional God of love and that God wants to bring good in our life. He wants to work out all things for our good and for his kingdom and just trust that even when we don't see the answers here and now. Just believe in that he's a good God. Thanking God for the things that he's doing every day to protect us that we don't even know about, that we won't know about. And, you know, you hear people even sound and say, well, when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to ask God is why this or why that? Well, you know what? You probably won't because it probably won't even matter anymore because you'll be face-to-face with the Savior. Man, Kaylee, thanks for hosting the podcast. Thanks for switching seats with me today. <laughs> Maybe we can do it again next week. Oh, no, hang on. We'll put on the brakes. I don't know if we're going to do it next week, but it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you doing this. You're making a pretty good host. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all who have listened today. We will catch you next time on Taboo Talk. 